Welcome back to another episode of Raising Healthy Eaters, the podcast. I'm Bridget, your host and founder of Raising Healthy Eaters. This week, we're continuing in our 10-episode series on the do's and don'ts of feeding kids. This is episode six of the series. If you've missed the first five, make sure to go back and check them out. Each one gives you a tip for creating enjoyable meal times with your kids and for overcoming picky eating. Last time, I began talking about the do's of feeding kids or the things we can all do to raise a happy, healthy eater while keeping our sanity. Today, I want to talk about a way to approach feeding or eating or mealtimes that not only sets the stage for our children to eat well, but also strengthens the relationship between parent and child. This is an approach that grew out of a parenting movement and has been studied by researchers time and time again, proving to be beneficial in so many ways. So if you're ready, settle in and let's get started. The approach I'm going to share with you today is called responsive feeding, and it emerged from responsive parenting, which is a parenting style characterized by a warm, trusting, loving, and respectful relationship between parent and child. In this parenting model, the child's needs are recognized, respected, and responded to appropriately, and what happens is the baby or child ends up developing self-regulation, secure attachment with their caregivers and their parents, emotional management, and optimal cognitive and language skill development. Interestingly, the use of responsive parenting has also been associated with children who grow in a much healthier way. As I said, responsive feeding grew from this responsive parenting style and It is feeding and interacting with your child during mealtimes in a way that recognizes their hunger and fullness signals and responds with whatever the appropriate action might be. And in the case of feeding, it's either to start or stop feeding or the meal. Which action you take really depends on how old your child is. So if you have a baby who is dependent on you to feed them, hold the bottle, then you respond by either starting or stopping the feeding. Whereas with older kids who can stop eating on their own, you are respecting their decision to do so and maybe you let them leave the table or put their plate away, whatever that might look like to finish the meal. So that's an umbrella definition of responsive feeding. But I want to dive deeper into responsive feeding by talking about what exactly it is, and what exactly it is not. And I'm going to start with what it's not so we can end on a positive note. Responsive feeding is not restrictive. So the child's intake of food, no matter what kind, is not overtly restricted, meaning it's okay to have boundaries and teach balance, but this is very different from restricting specific foods or the total amount of food a child can have or how much time a child has to eat. Now, I went into detail on restriction in episode five. So if you want to learn more about it, I'm going to send you back to listen to that episode. Responsive feeding is not a feeding practice that uses bribing. And again, you might recall from episode four that bribing is a preemptive 
bargaining tactic used to make kids eat by controlling an unwanted behavior. And in the context of feeding and eating, that unwanted behavior might be pushing their vegetables aside and not eating those. And bribing sounds something like, if you eat this, I'll give you that. Then we have rewarding, which is another thing responsive feeding is not. It it does not employ the use of rewards. And this was talked about in episode four along with bribing and is very similar to bribing. But rewards are offered as a form of praise for a positive behavior. But it is still conditional. It's a, you ate this, so I'm going to give you that. For more information on both of those, if you missed it, check out episode four. Another thing that responsive feeding is not is forceful. So in responsive feeding, we are not forcing anything on anyone. No force feeding, no other methods of making a child eat. For instance, trying to get a baby to finish their bottle even when they push it away. None of this is happening because being forceful is opposite of being responsive. So each of these things, restriction, bribing, rewarding, and forcing, are all characteristics of a controlling approach to feeding. They all ignore the needs of the child, and they all exert a fair amount of pressure on the child, which again is an episode in and of itself, so you can go back. It's within this 10-episode series, and I believe pressure is episode 3. While responsive feeding doesn't control what your child eats, how your child eats, how fast your child eats, or how much your child eats, it's also not passive or permissive or inattentive. These are characteristics that occupy the other end of the control spectrum around feeding, and they often allow for more indulgence on the part of the child. Similarly, using food to soothe emotions is an indulgent and not a responsive feeding style. So if meals are not approached in a responsive manner, by definition, at least one of these other methods is being used, whether it be restriction, bribes, rewards, force, or even using food as an emotional regulator. And with all of these, you can see that there's either too much control or not enough. Now, if you're wondering what are the dangers of feeding in a non-responsive manner as a whole, research has found that children who are fed in a non-responsive way end up having a limited ability to develop self-control based on hunger and fullness. So this means they can't regulate their intake well they become non-responsive to their own feelings of hunger and fullness and over time can end up under or overeating. And from what I saw in the research, in most cases, overeating is the outcome. Similarly, a child's responsiveness to food itself is impacted, meaning they might find certain foods incredibly appealing and irresistible and then overindulge in those foods. And this is a response that tends to follow children into adulthood. So as adults, they have a problem with regulating how much they eat. And finally, another interesting and perhaps unexpected impact of non-responsive feeding on a child that I came across in the research was that children don't develop the ability to regulate their emotions or self-soothe 
they end up using food or other external ways to manage their feelings. Generally speaking, unhealthy eating habits and unhealthy behaviors are the result of non-responsive feeding. So now that you know what responsive feeding is not, let me explain what it is. Responsive feeding is that happy middle ground between control and passivity where the child communicates their needs and those needs are respected. They are responded to appropriately. Responsive feeding is emotionally supportive. It's warm and loving. So an understanding of how the child feels and what they need is communicated back to them. And it's accepted by the adult. It's accepted by the parent, the caregiver. It's not pushed away or ignored. Instead of, oh, you're fine, or there's no way you're full, a parent would say, I'm sorry you're feeling sad. Would you like a hug? Or, okay, you're full. Let's get you out of your high chair and clean you up. Of course, these are examples for the little guys, but for older kids, you might have a different response like, all right, you're done. Take your plate to the sink and rinse it off. But in both cases, what the child is saying they need is respected. Responsive feeding is predictable and stress-free. Your child knows that you trust them to make decisions about eating and they trust you to let them do just that. But they also know that meals are gonna happen routinely and their needs will be met. And so it ends up being very predictable with low stress, not only for your child, but also for you. Responsive feeding is patient. And this is what I covered in the last episode, so I won't repeat myself too much here. You are waiting for your child's communication, and you're not forcing your expectations on them at meals. So you're not letting your vision of how you want them to eat guide the decision-making and the interaction with them. You're waiting for them to communicate that to you, and then you're responding. Responsive feeding is also social. As a responsive feeder, you understand that mealtimes are the perfect opportunity for social interaction, and you interact with your child in a positive manner. You have frequent eye contact with them. You're paying attention so that you can catch their signals, right, about what they're telling you. But it's not so indulgent that you're giving them all of the attention, right? You have this balance of talking to them, including them in the conversation, kind of keeping an eye out to see what they need, if you need to give them any sort of support or assistance. Responsive feeding is consistent, and this kind of relates back to the predictability of it. Every meal is approached in a responsive manner. It also means that meals and snacks are provided routinely on some sort of schedule and that a variety of foods are offered time and time again because as a responsive feeder, you understand that children need a lot of exposure to different foods to build comfort with them. And finally, responsive feeding encourages independence that is appropriate for the developmental stage of your child. 
you set up a feeding environment that supports competence with eating. It allows your child to become independent and take care of those feeding jobs that they are able to do on their own. So this means providing the right type of utensils or cups or bowls, especially for the little guys learning to eat and they need the short little stubby spoons. It means supporting self-feeding for babies and toddlers, letting them experiment with the spoons and try to learn how to spoon feed. It means getting teens involved in the entire meal planning process from grocery list to cooking. And in all cases, providing that assistance whenever it's needed. As you can see, responsive feeding is a very active process. So we're not falling on the controlling end and we're not falling on the lenient permissive end. We're just in the middle, very active and involved and engaged. And you are interacting with your child in a way that is supportive and accepting of their needs. There are a lot of benefits to using responsive feeding, and these benefits show up both in terms of nutrition and health and in relationship development. So as far as the nutrition and health benefits go, kids who have experienced responsive feeding are able to develop their feeding skills and their intuitive eating or their ability to regulate how much they need to eat, how much is enough for them. They also tend to grow into a healthy weight for their body because they are allowed to regulate their own intake. Over time, children who have parents that use responsive feeding develop healthy eating habits. They are less fussy with food. They enjoy meals more. And they feel a great deal more comfort in experimenting with new foods, which means they're going to eat a wider variety of foods than a child who has the non-responsive feeding practices happening. As far as relationship benefits go, the research has shown that using responsive feeding really facilitates that bonding between you and your child. It helps create safety and it builds trust. And so the relationship just really strengthens from the use of responsive feeding. There are a few things you can expect to see when you feed your child in a responsive manner. Over time, they will begin eating new and different things or a wider variety of foods, which is often a relief to most parents. But you'll also see with their growth that they'll grow at a slower rate. Now, don't be alarmed because this is actually a steady rate consistent with typical growth that allows your child to stay within the healthy size for themselves. Responsive feeding essentially allows the child to eat in a way that prevents growth that's too rapid or growth that shoots them up into categories that aren't going to be as healthy for them. Now you know what responsive feeding is not, and it's pretty much all of the don'ts in this series of the do's and don'ts of feeding kids. And now you know what it is. You might be wondering, well, when do I start using responsive feeding? Like, when can I implement it? What if we weren't using it before? What if we were using some of those other feeding practices? Can we start using responsive feeding? Will it make a difference? Ideally, you start at the birth of your child, right? And you feed your infant in a responsive manner straight out of the gate. 
But most of us didn't learn to feed our kids in this way. And society doesn't tell us to be responsive feeders. It doesn't tell us how to do that. And I know that most of us didn't experience that type of feeding style when we were children. So what do we do? Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And I just love that quote because I think we are all on a learning journey. And the fact of the matter is that even if you weren't using responsive feeding with your child before, you can absolutely implement it now. And yes, it will make a difference. You can become a responsive feeder anytime. The feeding dynamic and the way mealtimes are handled can change anytime. And with consistency and patience, you will see the benefits. That's all for today. I hope this was a helpful episode for you. If you'd like to learn more about responsive feeding and how to use it to the benefit of you and your children, check out Raising Healthy Eaters. I do plan to have an in-depth course on responsive feeding available to members. At this point, you can join our wait list to get updates about when we'll launch and learn more about how we'll be able to help you. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Healthy Eaters Official where you can send me your questions or requests for a topic. Those links are in the show notes along with the references for the information I shared today. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate your support for this podcast. And I hope you'll join me next week for episode seven of the do's and don'ts of feeding kids. Until then, have a great day.